Welcome to the DPP podcast, CES 2021, The Final Word. My name is Mark Harrison. I'm the CEO of the DPP. Hello, I'm Rowan de Pomeray. I'm the CTO of the DPP. And, you know, Rowan, the the DPP always kind of spends its January rather kind of dominated by CES, don't we? We do lots of writing about it, lots of talking about it. and, And now the month's coming to an end. I think it's time to stop. And yet, I sense that you and I have still got a few hobby horses that we want to set running. If you can run a hobby horse. Uh, you absolutely can, Mark. Uh, yeah, I mean, especially for you, of course, you tend to, to spend the time in Vegas and, and this year spent it all in front of screens. Uh, but yeah, no, this is this is going to be a quick discussion about your thoughts and my thoughts. I think it is important to say that the report covers what goes on in CES. The webcast that we did uh, yesterday, as we record this, uh, covered a lot of what happened at CES. So we're not going to review all of that, are we? This is going to be a little bit more of a chance for us to discuss our own thoughts. Yeah. That said, though, uh, just for anybody who needs a refresher, I I think you need to summarise it quickly, Mark. How about 60 seconds? Can you do CES in 60 seconds? The whole of CES 2021 in one minute? Absolutely. Is that what you're asking? I think you can do it. I'll give it a go. All right. I'm going to count you in. Okay. Three, two, one, go. CES 2021 went online. And so in that way, you know, it was more accessible. And yet it was about 40% of its normal size, both in terms of exhibitors and attendees. Lots of those exhibitors tried to tell us that they were the ones who were going to save our pandemic lives by making the home our beautiful smart headquarters and to make it really, really clean. None of that was convincing. What was convincing was that screens have become the center of our lives. Lots of brilliant screen tech and uh, an increasing quality actually, both of the devices and also uh, a demand for really high quality content. The other thing that really stood out for me was that this is now a business to business show, not a business to consumer show. Lots about the Internet of Things and about AI, but really about it being in the infrastructure in the background. And the final thing I want to say is that this was the year when finally diversity and inclusion and sustainability went right to the top of the CES agenda. No more booth babes, lots of really good business values. Wow. Okay, fair play. Uh, that was uh, that was pretty mind-blowingly rapid. Thank you for that summary. Uh, and I'm sure that anybody who hasn't read the report is going to want to read all of the detail after that. But your point there about values, um, I mean, this is really starting to come through strongly everywhere, isn't it? We had speakers talking about it at Tech Leaders Briefing late last year. Yeah. It came up in our predictions a, a couple of weeks ago. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm really thrilled to, to hear that the show is sort of coming into the 21st century. But, uh, but yeah, this, this value, business values thing is, is going to be huge this year, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it totally is. Like every single company of any scale is going to need to be clear about, you know, where it stands on all sorts of things, but particularly, you know, around diversity of their workforce and of their talent and um, around their position on environmental sustainability. And, you know, if you want to hire good people, you're going to have to better tell them what you're doing around all this. Yeah, and I think it does require a concerted effort across the whole industry, right? We we at the DPP have been, you know, trying desperately to to improve the the diversity of our speakers and our attendees and so on for for really quite some time, and it is noticeable how that conversation has become more mainstream and, and more accepted. I think when you say to people, 
it's it's really lovely that you want to take part in this, but is there any chance you could send someone who isn't a middle-aged white male? You know, that that's no longer a shock to people. I think people are really on board with with trying to help out with that now. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. But you know what? I mean, we're starting to get more and more direct on this. And I think, you know, we all just have to. It's now it's now got to the point where we're saying, I'm really sorry, but you can't take part if all you're going to do mm-hmm. is send another middle-aged white male. And, you know, speaking as... Well, actually, an elderly white male. Um, <laughs> this, you know, this is this is it. This is the moment where we have to hand over. That's just the way it is, folks. Anyway, look, um, I've done loads of talking and writing about CES this month. I'm really keen to hear, Rowan. You know, from what you've been looking at and hearing and taking part in, what is it that's really stood out for you from the beginning of this year? Yeah, it's. I mean, it is hard to pick out individual things, and and you know the the headline themes that are in the report are are, are really spot on. I think so. I'm not going to recover that ground, but there's a couple of nuggets that I would pull out. Um, the first one is is that you you quoted in the report a 39% increase in U.S. video game sales in 2020. Um, Actually, that was just been... that was just in the kind of. The middle six months of 2020, in fact, just right, exactly, exactly that. You know, there there were two huge new games console releases at the end of 2020, and those figures predate that. So, hmm. you know, as far as I can see, there's that figure must be must be up by the end of the year. Uh, we we won't have those figures available to us yet. But with a new Xbox and a new PlayStation, you know, gaming really at the high end was getting a push towards the end of the year um and of course we you know we've seen that gaming is becoming much more all pervasive you know i think it's it's not just about the consoles and the you know the 16 year old with a headset in his basement um anymore everybody is a gamer um yeah. and and that's a really really interesting trend we've been saying it for a long time but we've got to start paying attention in the media industry yeah do you know i think we we really do and and what's actually sort of become clear to me, perhaps I've been a bit slow on this, is that if you look at the whole kind of ecosystem of of games, of course, it's got just the kind of diversity that you have in every other kind of content. You know, you've got the kind of cheap and cheerful, easy to do um, stuff, which is kind of the equivalent, if you like, of, you know, daytime television. Um, yep. And then you've got the premium high-end stuff and you've got absolutely everything that, sits in between that and i mean that that's i think a big part of what um those who perhaps are not so familiar with with the world of games need to get their their heads around and to understand that if, if you're talking about media and entertainment you actually you absolutely have to have the world of games in that right at the heart of that mix now yeah, and of course, the thing you have to bear in mind is that it's also where an awful lot of the money is. Uh, you know, there's there's so much opportunity for monetization and profit in gaming, um, with you know business models ranging from uh, you know pay for an individual game through subscription, very similar to uh, to what we see in in uh, video content. But of course, then you've got the in-app purchase angle. You've got this sort of continual yeah. monetization of a gamer. The, the more they engage with the game. A good friend of mine said to me recently that uh, anybody who thinks kids these days don't have patience and resilience needs to watch a four-year-old playing a game that has in-app purchases as they sort of sit there constantly <laughs> bombarded with adverts or with with uh, demands to pay more money that they probably don't have the, uh, the credit card to pay for. But, you know, uh, this is interesting because I, 
are we also going to see an, an increasing kind of convergence um, between all the different forms of media and entertainment? But, you know, we're starting to see major stars uh, sort of from, you know, TV or VOD or YouTube kind of series now appearing in games, um, you know, uh, musicians appearing in those kinds of environments, right. either as avatars or as themselves. It's like um, there's going to be so much. Uh, sort of content and marketing crossover between these different forms of entertainment. Yeah, I mean, absolutely right. I think those gaming environments are, are becoming far more than just your, your typical uh, game. You know, pe people are going there to to socialise, to, as you say, to consume other types of content. It's it's a really interesting trend. Um, and, and it, you know, it drives what else is going on in the industry as well. So, you know, something else that, that popped out for me is... Um, the consumer's choice for best in show award was the AMD Ryzen 5000 series chipset. <laughs> now, this is a, a high-end chipset used, again, heavily for gaming and, and that kind of thing. Um, and, and it really does speak to a point that you made about the death of the gadget, as it were. You know, yeah. you, you don't go and buy an AMD Ryzen to play with it, right? You know, it's a thing that's in your device that powers all of these software experiences, which is really where... The, the sort of consumer innovation is going, I think. Yeah, yeah, that is a, a great spot, isn't it? Isn't it interesting? It, it, you know, when I think back over the history of uh, CES in the last kind of decade or so, you know, there would be very, very few moments when particular gadgets have really broken through. It's been much more about sort of underlying trends in what consumers are doing, but. Mm. That now feels really, really extreme. You don't even you don't even attend CES expecting to see some new shiny thing anymore. It's it's much more about the kind of continuous evolution of devices and especially the smartphone, of course. Yeah, I think that that continuous evolution is a, is a great way of putting it. Um, you know, again, we we picked up five G in in the report and. 5G, I think, is really going to start to have a big impact in 2021, but not because of some specific game-changing use case that, that has been much overhyped, simply because it's rolling out and it's getting there and people already know how to use it because it's just integrated in their phone. It's just a faster data connection that allows them to do more. And, you know, what we keep seeing time and time again is consumers want more content, better quality, you know, uh, with with ease of use, and and this sort of continual improvement mindset, I think, is is uh, really quite a shift from from the days of big shiny product launches. But I don't think it's any bad thing. Yeah, I remember in 2011 when uh, the first tablet computers arrived, and uh, you know, pretty much every vendor kind of got it wrong because they thought that they were they were kind of touchscreen computers, um, but they were computers still with, you know, you save things mm -hmm. onto your local hard drive. And Apple were like, no, 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 no. This actually is about apps and it's about sending the consumer into the cloud. And it was like, it was like that was the last moment where people had to work out and learn what devices for. And I can remember when I got my first iPad, I was like, what do I do with this thing? I, I, I don't know what to do when I can't save things locally. You know, and I had to kind of learn how to get the best out of it. And that that's gone now, isn't it? You know, you, you know, every consumer kind of instinctively knows what they're going to do with their device. It's just 
what is the extent of what it can do? Yeah, absolutely uh, right. And but again, that sort of continual improvement mindset. Um, you look at the iPad, it's an almost unrecognizable device from when it launched, especially on the software side. It is so, so much more powerful than it was actually even two or three years ago because, uh, you know, Apple really have put some focus into to iOS on, on the iPad the last couple of years. But they've done that by adding complexity back in bit by bit, by adding new features bit by bit. Um, in the same way that, you know, realistically, if I look at my phone this year, it's it's not a fundamentally different device than the phone I bought three years ago. It's just a little bit faster and a little bit better camera and a little bit better screen. And, and it, it just means that I'm always sort of getting something slightly better. Um, and uh, it's really interesting to see how that will translate what we do in the media industry, because, of course, you know, you and I yeah. talk a lot about software-defined workflows and cloud-based supply chains and, and that kind of thing. But it's not just about where your software is running or whether it's a, a piece of hardware or a piece of software. It's about what it enables you to do in terms of continual improvement, you know, week on week, month on month, year on year, you know, not thinking in terms of eight-year investment cycles, but thinking in terms of, okay, what upgrade can we deploy this month that's going to make somebody's job just a little bit easier or make the quality of our output just a little bit better or make the delivery timelines for a piece of content a little bit faster you know month on month week on week year on year that's dead interesting i mean what do you think that's going to do to relationships between customers and suppliers and to the kind of evolution of the of the media supply chain yeah, it's a it's a very interesting question. I mean, I, I certainly hope it will shift uh, attention and effort and money away from big overcomplicated uh, procurement cycles for for many things. I mean, yeah. you know, there are of course still still some things that are going to need to go through big procurements, um, but much more towards sort of relationship building, partnership building, um, and uh, and you know, much more of a focus on on genuine continual deliverables right if if uh, you sort of have the, the, these opposing forces of on the one hand you want to be closer than ever before probably to your software vendors because you want to influence their roadmaps you want to understand what's coming you want to ensure that they're integrating with the right partners all of that kind of thing but on the other hand it's potentially easier than ever for you to swap them out so you yeah. know you, you want a closer relationship but it's also arguably a more fragile relationship it's it's an interesting dynamic that we're seeing evolve um yeah yeah that's a that's a really great point i guess also that you know, just as a cs in in some respects uh, is struggling to kind of justify itself as as a consumer electronic show i think it was yesterday on the um on the webcast, you referred to it as now more of a kind of consumer experience show, which I thought mm. was a, a, a great way of putting it. But um, you I know, there's a parallel. That. Yeah, I think you should. <laughs> uh, I think there's a parallel, isn't there, with kind of the you know what used to be called the broadcast industry trade shows, which which similarly, you know, there's the, people don't want to go and see lots of hardware anymore. There's not even any hardware to show anymore. And what does it mean for the future of those of those shows? Well, I mean, that in itself is a, a huge topic and one that I think we're we're going to end up discussing much more over the course of this year. But uh, but but in short, yeah, it does have to change because, uh, as you say, you simply don't need the floor space to worry about hardware anymore. You, you don't need to go and, and get your hands on bits of kit. Um, essentially, you end up with these huge spaces filled with 
you know, screens and demo pods and, uh, you know, deeply unsatisfactory meeting spaces mostly. Well, that's the thing, um, isn't it? Because it's like almost a mark of, of how kind of uh, influential um, you are as a company that, you know, if you feel you're anybody, you can opt to spend your money on having a really nice hotel suite, aren't you? And, uh, you know, or, or possibly creating a customer experience that's even outside of the of the calendar of, of the shows themselves. And it's like... It's for those who are starting out, um, you know, who got uh, who haven't yet got the name and the reputation, who are probably going to be the ones who who still will spend money on being on a trade show floor. Right, absolutely. And the way that customers engage in in this environment, it, it's going to continue to evolve, right? So if you walk around the sides of the halls at the trade shows, which to be honest, is my favourite place to go. It's where you find all the little new and in- innovative and interesting companies. You know, a lot of their stands, uh, a couple of bar stools and a laptop. Um, and, and you know, that's all that you really need to demonstrate the, the latest and greatest technology these days, because it's all about the software experience. But, you know, meanwhile, I've got to say that while this conversation has been going on for pretty much as long as we've had a pandemic, this kind of what's the future for trade shows and, you know, all that CES has done has, has been to confirm the kind of challenges in that space. I still haven't really heard a kind of convincing description of what takes their place that is going to enable those companies who haven't yet got that intimate relationship with a particular customer to get their foot in the door. Because, you know, meanwhile, we're hearing all the customers saying, you know, we're sick to death of being bombarded. They're very resistant to responding to any kind of, of comms from any supplier that they don't already know. Right. And, and, you know, this is a, a real problem in the industry. It's something that, you know, we're trying to address with our with our own innovation week coming up in April. Uh, but but it's not a single solution. It's, you know, it, even our hubris probably can't go as far as to say that DPP <laughs> Innovation Week solves all of the industry's problems. Um, so oh, I like the uh, tagline. Yeah. I like the tagline. Yeah. Yeah. Solving yeah. all the industry's problems. <laughs> People are bound to find that convincing. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely think they'll believe it, Mark. Well, look, so, uh, we're, we're getting short of time, so we're going to have to wrap up soon. Um, I, I've, I've got one one thing I still want to rant on about, if I may. Go for it. <laughs> and, and that's and that's about how or why we get trends wrong. You know, it was it was completely inevitable that uh, we would have loads of companies at CES. Um, just behaving as if we were going to be in a pandemic for the rest of our lives, right? Just taking behaviours that had evolved over the last nine months or so and then kind of extending them out as if they were or are going to be the kind of steady state, you know, along with all the kind of sanitizer tech and all the kind of smart face marks and all this kind of stuff. And you just know that 12 months down the line, um, that stuff's all going to look laughable because... Let's hope, you know, this this is done and we don't know what the bounce back will be like, but it's going to be quite a thing, whatever it is. And next year at CES, do you know what? They'll have, they'll be behaving as if that stuff never happened and they'll be pretending they're on top of, of the next thing. And, you know, at one level, this kind of stuff, which is not unique to CES, it happens all over I think probably every industry. Um, you know, at one level, it's just kind of amusing, but at another, I find it increasingly irritating because it's very distracting. It causes lots of investment in the wrong things. 
Um, sorry, this is now a rant. Yeah, you know, I think back to, uh, <laughs> I think it was 2015. I was stood there at CES, and this was this was the year when um, VR was really big. Oculus Rift uh, was a real thing, and yeah. if you were lucky enough, as I was, you got to kind of go around the back and have the kind of special demo of their top end stuff. And yeah, it was quite simply and still remains the most incredible sort of single tech experience I have ever had. That didn't make me think that this thing was about to change the course of the media and entertainment industry. I absolutely knew that it wouldn't, probably not ever, and certainly not within the next five to 10 years. And yet I had people at that show quite literally shouting at me for my insistence that this wasn't actually the next big thing. <laughs> did, did it even manage to convince you that you should buy one, Mark? It absolutely didn't. And that's the thing, right? A device that is brilliant for delivering these one-off, standalone, immersive experiences, that's a really fantastic thing, but but it's very different to what you want just for enjoying storytelling in your home and, and on the move on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's really true. But you know, it's why actually I'm really looking forward to a piece of work we're doing uh, in a couple of months' time, which is going to see whether we can create some kind of rules of thumb about how you do spot innovations that matter, and actually how you do identify trends in a way that's going to be useful to your business, um, right. rather than you know setting up some innovation team to waste money on the latest thing. Or all the latest kind of behaviour that everybody's talking about that that will be gone in twelve months' time. Well, and and to your point about the you know the smart health tech and all of that kind of thing, a lot of it feels very reactive, and I think we're we're very yeah. bad at predicting what's going to come down the line. So yeah. so can I throw in my my final thought then uh, my my own little rant, which is oh, something that's sort of outside of uh, outside of CES per se, but very related to the consumer electronics world, uh, and I think is going to become very related to the media world. Um, we've talked about uh, the pandemic, and we've talked about uh, business values and diversity. These are big themes last year. Uh, but another another big theme was kind of geopolitical uncertainty. And, Ooh, uh, you know, we think yeah. of that as very disconnected, I think, from the tech world. And it isn't. Um, you know, there's a really fascinating dynamic going on right now in the world of silicon chip manufacture. Um, you know, we've we've mentioned Apple a couple of times here. They made big waves last year with shifting their Macs to their own chips. Um yeah. And and while they had you know considerable design improvements and that kind of thing, what goes unsaid is that a lot of the improvement that they achieved is also down to the fabrication. They're using a five nanometer fabrication process, which is absolutely cutting edge, and it's being done by TSMC, the Taiwanese uh, semiconductor manufacturing company. Um, and what people perhaps aren't aware is that TSMC and Samsung have almost a duopoly on chip manufacture outside of intel you know they make nvidia's chips they make apple's chips they make uh, chips for the auto manufacturers i mean fascinating mm. at the moment uh, volkswagen have had to cut back production because they can't get enough of the chips to go in the cars this is kind of crazy stuff where you know just a couple of companies have a huge hold on the market and they are 
right in the center of kind of US slash European Chinese relations. And I, I reckon there's going to be some big shots fired uh, as, as to you know who has control over the supply of, of silicon that powers so many of these devices in our lives. Oh, God, you're so right, aren't you? And do you remember when it became very fashionable to say that content is the new oil? Uh, actually, um, microchips are the new oil, aren't they? I mean, they truly are because you've got the same kind of conversations going on about um, geopolitical power and and also about the need for individual nation states to try and develop their own source of supply. So they don't have this dependency right. upon, you know, a small number of key um, of key manufacturers. Completely right. And that is no small challenge. You know, TSMC are set to invest $28 billion in new fabrication this year. These are huge numbers. Um, and anybody who thinks they can play catch up is, is you know, going to have some, some big shocks ahead of them. So, yeah, uh, you know, I, I mean, these are remarkable companies doing remarkable things. And, uh, you know, they, they power so much of what we do from from the smartphones in our pockets through to the cloud solutions that, that we're building on. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm going to be watching this one with interest, partly because it, it hits all my boxes of being a bit geeky <laughs> about tech and a bit interested in business, but also because I think it's, you know, we're going to feel the impacts of these discussions over the coming years. Okay, so chips with everything from here on in. Um, <laughs> right, that's us done, I think, for this one. I think it better be right. Uh, otherwise, uh, people will have switched off uh, long before we've finished. But I hope the discussion has been interesting. Do give us your feedback. Uh, we're yes, rowing at the dpp.com, mark out the dpp.com. Uh, do get in touch with us. Okay, we'll be back with another one of these. If you want another one, let us know uh, in a few weeks. Thanks a lot. Bye for now. Bye bye.